And hello, welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast Season 5 episode, We Don't Know, and We Really Don't Care. Um, We do care, I care. care. Well, I I don't know, someone cares, somebody cares, I think Rookie cares. Um, cares. Does she really? Yeah, she watches all of them, she loves it. She's pissed when they're not rebroadcasted. Well, okay, fair enough. Well, um, thanks for everyone for um, joining and watching, and uh, please uh, feel free on the YouTube channel message board thingamabob. We don't know how that works, but go ahead, please, message. Um, We're going to get into some um, pretty cool topics that might not include, like, some some back and forth, but please, we'll, we'll be... One of us will be messaging on the YouTube board uh, any answers to your questions, um, just because we have a lot of content to kind of get through today. Um, very high-level stuff. Um, thank you to our okay. uh, our sponsors, Brand Boulevard. Um, really appreciate all your support. Uh, and my name is Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. Um, so, boys. Uh, we've had a lot of news. Uh, uh, wait, but first of all, uh, Jeff, uh, you want to maybe tell Brad that housing uh, episode that we did uh, uh, the last time. He'll be was... watching. He'll be watching. He knows. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Hi, then. Brad. Hi, Brad. Hi, Brad. <laughs> Hi. Thanks. Thanks for supporting and sharing and caring. Um, so, a couple things uh, to share. Like, no. Oh, he probably doesn't care. Let's be honest. I, I mean, right? The fact that he pretends to care is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's why we love him, yeah. And uh, even the boys at Cryer Media actually pretend to care. It's great. It's just actually, purely you know just fanning the ego. After you know? the show, Brad called me up and said he had a great time. And he said uh, he suggested getting Ryan on to kind of talk about the real estate tech and all that stuff. He's really good at that part. I said in a future episode we'd be happy to have him and all that, but Brad really liked the. He was impressed. Oh, excellent! Well, I got. He was impressed. Well, I got to let you guys know that like downloads within like within a week because we stop after a week because there's really what's the point? You know, we just want to know. Uh, one of the highest downloaded audio podcasts we've done um on a like on a rolling three months and on a rolling um uh six months so baby everybody loves it everybody thinks they're a pro it's housing i know like it, it's just a lot of people there's a lot of um demand right now for for people finding information and i i do believe what we chatted about last episode which was there's a ton of demand out there the dam is a going to break we're going to be talking about that in a couple of minutes. And uh, because of that, it's also leading to um, some, you know, I guess T's not being crossed, I's not being dotted, which kind of leads us as a nice little segue into <clears throat> the article. I'll pull it up here because I can't remember what the title of the article it was in. Oh, it was in the Toronto Star. And uh, basically, it was this couple who bought this two point two million dollars. No, sorry, who bought this cottage um, send up it north? To rookie, and he could post it, maybe. Oh yeah, that's actually a good idea. Can I do that, rookie? I think I can. I'll text it yeah, to you, rookie. Some kind of link to it or something. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be good. 
So, yeah, rookie, I just texted you the link. I, I don't know how that will work, but um, anyway, the uh, they the bought it link by accident. And the day the day before closing, the day before closing, two days before closing, they were told that it was uninhabitable. Yeah, because it was like lakefront, right on Lake Huron. Um, so it's up towards the Muskoka, you know, Bondo, Collins, Lindy, you know that area. It's Blue Mountain area, kind of up north yeah. specifically. Um, Should put our rental. Not quite, quite as far as Sobel Beach area, right? But kind of down that. Right. Yeah, it's on the it's on the south end of. From what I understand, it's on the south end of of Lake Huron, but I could be wrong. I, anyways, it's on it's on the coast of Lake Huron, and so it's uninhabitable, and so they are suing for two point two million dollars. So, um, okay, so let me just let, let's just go down this, and this is on a the, little bit more context to why it's yeah. uninhabitable, though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to get to. So oh, okay, sorry. Uh, let's let's start with. I'm jumping the gun. I'm antsy. Yeah, like, God, fancy fancy over here. Um, Collins. Yeah. And Bondo. This is mainly directed towards you, you, you both. Um, then Lindy and I. Like, okay, so Collins from a realtor after reading that article for the information that was given in the article. What do you think? How did this transpire? And then Bondo, I want to go over to you from a legal. Obviously, after I read it, it sounded justified to for 2.2 million. But how did this miss the due diligence? How did like do, do you know what I mean? So Collins go, then Bondo, or Bondo well, goes to Collins. But, it's interesting because if, if you are on like a cliff, more or less, you think you do extra due diligence when you're buying it, you'd think there'd be some kind of a risk there, but it does play into the effect of, of what Bond should be talking about. That's latent defects. So if they did know it was eroding and all that, they should disclose it. But then it could have happened after the purchase and all that. But it's something that I think if you can do some due diligence, which right now you can. I, I got to look again when they did purchase it. But you'd, you'd have to want to get a professional in there looking at it about erosion on the side of, of the cliff, right? So what, what I didn't get about it is I think the purchase price in that uh, – that article was about 300,000 for it and they're suing for 2.2. So right. I, I'd almost want to bring that in with bond there because the evaluation, like I understand what they're doing. They want to get it all paid for what they fixed, but they're buying something at $300,000. So how's the evaluation get to 2.2 for damages and all that? Because clearly if you're buying for $300,000, there's some wiggle room in there for, for work to get done. Right. You're essentially well, buying the land. So, I don't know how this lawsuit would go go down. Yeah, but it, like there's say, multiple layers. Again, yeah, so oh, there's definitely multiple layers, but it's sensationalizing the price here with the two point two million. That's what they're doing for media. But but okay, but play an advocate. If you look at it from the from the other perspective, they hold on the screen here, rookie. They they paid three hundred and thirty thousand for X. Yeah, right? whatever whatever X is, which is a house with a cliff. Overlooking a lake, just yeah. for for example. If out of the gate it costs them one point nine million dollars to recreate what they originally purchased, then there might be some justification there that the damage that they suffered to get what they initially bargained for was that increased cost. 
But well, then if you're saying the value of the house is two million, they're getting it way below market value, and there must be a, a see. This is the problem. No, you're but looking. There's at not it enough wrong, context Jeff. in this, right? You're, because you're, you'd you're want to see a valuation of comparable houses in that area. Are they going for one point five million? Are they going for three hundred thousand? You're Jeff, looking at it. No, just, you're looking at it wrong. You look at it yeah. from the perspective that the house probably still is only worth four hundred thousand dollars, but the fact that to get that four hundred thousand dollar house on that cliff, you had to recreate the cliff. So and if you had so to build a, a big concrete wall that cost you a million would bucks. Have to. And again, I'm, I'm playing advocate, right? Just to, to give some context to the other side of it. You have to build this big concrete wall in order to, to have that $350,000, $400,000 house because you've got to sustain the earth that it's sitting on. So that's the cost that's buried in bringing it up to $2.3 million. So it's I'm not gonna, a $2.3 million house. So I'm just going to I'm just going to basically put it in layman's terms if I can and correct me if I'm wrong, okay? I Kristen and I we walk in to go buy a home. We envision this place to be on a cliff, whatever the heck it is, on Lake Huron. It could be Lake Erie, it could be Lake Ontario, it doesn't matter, and we all know if your house is on waterfront there is erosion guaranteed. So everyone knows that going in. And so they go to buy the home. They agree on a $400,000 purchase price. For whatever reason, it's a $400,000 purchase price. And then probably with some fix-ups and stuff like that that need to get done, and the market is a little bit soft right now, so that kind of makes sense. Then along comes two days before closing, and the city goes, and, and or the region goes, this is uninhabitable. Because of the erosion that's happening on the lake, you have to invest X to us to give you, um, you know, to allow you to, you know, live Continue in this to home. inhabit this place. Because at the end of the day, right? we don't want it, you to die and it, it slide into the, the lake. We as a municipality have a sense of obligation as the land owners, right? You're paying us a tax here on this land, right? Right. And I know that I've got a buddy. I've got two buddies. One has a cottage on Lake Erie, but oh my God, talk about a shallow lake and uh, the damage that gets done. We all know, we all know, uh, Ian. So, and the amount of damage for years in a row that he's had to put in, it has to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of work that has been done on the erosion. And they had, they had a wall, they had a retaining wall. Um, they've had to redo the retaining wall. And then I know, well, Bondo, I know your place. And then also yep. my buddy, Sean, he lives on Lake Ontario and, uh, just his, just rocks, rocks were $250,000. That's crazy. The boulders. Yeah. That, and that was, and he didn't have to do it. He just did it to reinforce because he knew that what was coming down the pipeline. <clears throat> so that so, kind so, of, but so that's crazy. To Colin's point. But to Colin's point, the, the you know the one point two, one point nine, one point eight million dollar gap is is, I mean I don't know what I'm talking about, well, but again, to get trades up to that area to do the job would be astronomical. No. Okay, so just to point out though, the, the, keep hanging the idea hat on the 2. in 2. Law, million, right? The two point two million. The, we the keep idea hanging in law is, on. Yeah, it's a million in general damages a million in special damages and 200,000 
for vendors punitive damages from the vendor for punitive damages right so yeah. the construction that would lead me to believe and bondo you can talk to this general damages yeah. probably a million dollars to remediate what the problem is yeah. i know the special damages the article references that the region or municipality the township allowed somebody else to build something down from them which is is it, uh forcing the erosion to happen quicker on this particular property so they're come they're they're going after the Asable Bayfield Conservation Authority they're going after the township and they're going after the seller and the seller's piece is because of a, the article reads basically that there's a the assumption there's a latent defect because the seller knew about this problem at least one month prior to the closing and was only notified a couple of days prior to closing. So they're this, only going after the seller for 200,000 and then 2 million no, for the 2.2 every 2.2 million for everybody. The sellers, the okay, township. So it's not just the seller. That's what I didn't think made sense. Not just the seller. The seller. They're going after okay. everybody. That makes a little bit more sense. Decided, Wh whoever. Yes. Wh whoever, right? Whoever's going to pay it. These are, these are our damages. So in law, yeah. Essentially, to, to 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 understand it, what they're gonna they're trying to claim for is to be made whole again, to be back in the situation where they had contracted for to have this house situated here being worth three hundred fifty or four hundred thousand. The house sliding into the Lake Erie is worth significantly less than that, right? But just to yeah. bring it back to that point for what they have actually contracted for, they're claiming this is what it costs them. But now, see, is it bogus? Th this is it's still out of context. It's a lawsuit. Though, because, of course it's bogus. Yeah, but, but you'd have to look at comparables because are comparable houses there that have no erosion issues, are they going for a million five? Did they get it way underlisted? Or are houses that are in a nice sturdy area going for 350 or four? So there's some context that are out of place there. Like they might have got a significant discount on this property because of the erosion. So as much as when you read the 100%. article and you're saying, yep, well, I want 2.2 million, so it should be like that. I, I look at it yep. through my eyes. If I was buying this house right there, I'd say, holy shit, this is $350,000 is looking on this, the size and all that. And you know, we're missing some context here. Is it significantly below value? Yeah. Or are they going in there buying this cheap house right there and say, no, we want to be made whole. We want lawsuits for $2.2 million. At the end of the day, they get a house for $2.5 million and they pay three fifty dollars for it, right? So you got to have more context in this, this situation. hundred percent, hundred percent. And hundred percent. One of the things the 100%. article does talk about, you're looking at from the quotes they got, it says that it ranges from 370,000 to well over a million dollars to remediate the problem. Now, did they get quotes before they got the offer accepted? Was it after courts to decide those things? We presume right? after, right? Cause if but, they but went into the problem, knowledge, when you read articles like this though, you know, it's, it's clickbait once again. Yes. You know, like we, we need 100%. to know more information about this because we it would catches have all to our attention. Them. Well, but but you can't it's assume good to chat about and shoot the ship, the, though. The, like the point I'm yeah. making, we would have to assume that they didn't know about it until two days before closing. But but if that's the case, report because if, they... if you're buying a house that's on the side of a cliff as an agent. And I'm putting my name on there with my insurance on that. 
damn right I'm saying, hey, let's get a pro to look at this before you you invest this kind of money. You know, 350 is not the craziest amount, but if you're blowing away for nothing, let's get it. You know, was there any kind of due diligence done before? Or they just buy and say, oh, this is great. I love it. Blah, 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 blah. And they firmed up. Can I hit the hey, pause button close. here for a second? Can I hit the pause button? How much did yeah. they pay for the We're property? Live. How do you pause live? No, I know. Just in terms of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Three fifty. They paid for it. <laughs> Three fifty. What year? Twenty twenty one. And May it's on the water. First, twenty twenty one. And it's on the water. Correct. You ain't buying a fucking piece of land on the water in twenty twenty one for three hundred and fifty grand. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, you could. There, if it's there is probably down the missing side information. You know, if 100%. it's eroding down the cliff and you can't use it, you could probably get it for three fifty. That's that's yeah, but maybe thing, it's though. yeah, it's but maybe land. it's three hundred and fifty thousand, and they're like, hey, listen, you're going to have to rebuild the retaining wall. You're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to do that. And they're like, okay, well, if that's the case, this is a million dollar home. Subtract that off the price, and then the next yeah. thing you know, one day, two days before closing, it's uninhabitable. Well, that's a big difference of a of a. Of a decision, right? Yeah, yeah and that, that's the problem. For sure. We're missing some of these details on there, right? Well, yeah, for sure and we are, right? Like anything, we're going to be missing. They're selling advertising space, right? So, yeah, for sure, we're missing some information on it. Is it? Um, uh, what's it's stay tuned, right? It's a court action. We're going to get. Yeah. More well, the clickbait is the two point two million dollar lawsuit. As soon as you see that, it gets people to read it, right? Well, everybody, yeah, wants to know why Why is it so much, right? Well, I, I'll, I'll give you a little context from a legal perspective. Most lawsuits start off, off probably 10 times more than what they'll actually ever settle at. For sure. So yep. Scare tactic, that, that, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, grandstanding. Not everybody, but a lot of them, right? <clears throat> and, I should and, pull and, up that listing. I think the I part of it is if you don't claim... If you don't claim, I want to pull it, up that. I could pull up that listing, I think, and find out how it was listed when it listed. I'd like to. There's areas here. There's areas here, man. Guaranteed. Out on Erie. Oh, low banks and all that. They've got all kinds of places with erosion going on there. I've I've been through one before. <clears> that the back of the property, the actual house footprint, was about 15 feet from the actual cliff. And you could see a full-size tree that fell down the side of the cliff. So I went through it. So I'm just looking at my yeah. previous experience on it. I yeah, went through 100%. it. I said, holy shit, you want to buy this? We got to get a pro through here because I don't feel comfortable whatsoever saying this Absolutely. is safe to live. You know? And that's what I looked at right away. So if somebody proceeded to go through with the deal, yeah. was their whole end game to lawsuit and try to recoup the money to get that $2 million property, the $2 million worth to fix it up and do all that? 2021 was a real, real awkward time, right? Yeah. Yep. It's the, the wild wild have been awkward in real estate, right? But this yep. is the problem. All due diligence was thrown right out. And and this is where the agent could be liable. Possibly. Unless they had their their buyer um, decline in the schedule, which I always put in there. They declined house inspection, declined any kind of due diligence. It was their choice. They initial it. You know, I'm absolving myself yep. of any kind of... It's a cover your ass clause that agents put well, on. I told right? you you should do it. If you don't want to do it, it's up to you. Yep. So everyone, just so you know, all, all these articles that we're talking about today are going to appear in the co uh, in the comment section below, just because we can't just share a, an article 
like you know what I mean, like a link. Uh, uh, like, no, no, we can. It just okay. it just doesn't translate that well. So if we if we put these links down in the comments below, so there's four articles that we're talking about today. Um, this is the first one. It'll uh, rookie's going to put them down in the yeah that that one. See how you, you won't be able to click on that. So rookie will just put that down in the comments below. All, like all four articles, I've, I've, I'm going to send them to him. So the second but there, article, there's more context. The there Sorry, more context. Sorry. Yeah, right. Essentially, you got to get more context to the story. But you know, the media a lot of times throws out this big number where where people are already a little tentative about the housing market, right? Just because they're fear monitors, like you know. Oh, it's clickbait. Yep. Clickbait. 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 Um, okay, the second article. Another another star article, Toronto Star article. Again, this link sent to rookie. It's gonna be down in the comments section below. Please like and share, do whatever you need to do. That'd be great. Uh by the star. Um it's called When the Dam Breaks, Pent Up Demand. Um for housing is growing and it could lead to a bigger than ever crisis. I tend to, I can't believe I'm saying this, I tend to agree with the star on this one. Um, we talked about it last episode. Um, this is 100% what we, we chatted about. Uh, Collins, over to you. Here's your soapbox. Um, go. Oh, well, you I can say I told you so. Demand, you, you, and, and we don't know 100% sure, but but as an agent, I get signs of it. So I talk to Josh all the time. I talk to all four of you guys all the time about the market. I have to talk to my buyers. You don't have a crystal we ball? We always talk about time in the market. I don't have a crystal ball. It, it, but it you can feel <laughs> the market because when you're requesting showings for houses, they look like they're active. And then within the request time, you'll start to get – um, offers coming in, more offers, sales, stuff like that. We're starting to get multiple offers right now, but but I want to give some context to this. It's multiple offers below this price right now that's happening sometimes, right? So what that means, it might have been in the market for a bit. Now, three people going on an offer all below list, so it's not shooting way higher than price, but that's how it starts, right? Because, for example, I've got, client, I've got a couple of clients right now that we're looking for a house a million-dollar price point, and they're timing the market. They don't have anything to sell, so they've already sold their properties. They've taken their adjusted price, and now they want to buy. The problem is a lot of them, they want to get a, a pint of blood out of the, the seller <laughs> because they had to give a pint of blood when they sold, right? So they're timing the market. The problem with timing the market is it can change like on a dime. And the feel right now is that it's – right now it was, a, it, was a, it was a buyer's market, it's trending towards back towards a balanced market. And in a balanced market, you can get due diligence on there. So when we were talking earlier about the erosion of the property, in a proper market, which I like as a balanced market, you have the ability to get your due diligence done. So you have an inspector, a cliff erosion inspector, you know, whatever you want to get there, a financing, which, you know, we all knew a while back that financing clauses were hard to get, which was a nightmare for lawyers and for, for mortgage guys like Trevor. Like that was a nightmare. But now we're backing up. It's a buyer's market right now. So in the buyer's market, you can take your time to decide whether or not you want to purchase. But there's pent up demand there right now. And that's what, what Curry was talking about, that people have been thinking about buying for four or five months. They've been watching the interest rate. And 
it's been adjusted. So the price point has been adjusted. We've gone down about 30% of what stuff was listed at in February last year. So people think it's going to continue to drop. It's not. So now when you go to buy a house, this is what typically happens. There's a house that's listed at 780000 People go in at $680,000 and they expect the buyer to take it. And that was happening for about four months. But now people are coming in at about 75000 below. And the sellers are saying, no, I don't like it. I'm not even signing it back. I'm going to hold another week or two to see what happens. Now they're holding a week or two and offers are coming in at 25,000 below or 50,000 below. Maybe there's three of the offers. So it's a 50,000 below, 25,000 below, and then a 10,000 below. So when you start to see the actual market correct itself and become a balanced market, you're starting to see new listings that sell within a month. And they're close to list price, maybe five or 10,000 off. And those $100,000 prices that people think they have to get, they're not getting an offer. And then those people are waiting around and doing it. The problem is people with cash think they deserve a better price because they're cash. And the person selling the house doesn't give a shit if they're cash. They care how much they're going to get at the end of the day. So they have to do some due diligence in order to get an extra $80,000. They're willing to risk that time. You know, and Trevor, you could probably talk to this better because you're seeing the offers going through due diligence and they might not be getting taken. So maybe rookie kind of zoom back out. Let Trevor talk about this right here because you'll see what you're seeing, too. I see the offers going on. But what I see is when it's listed, when it's selling, when I'm asking for showings and they're no longer available because they're in due diligence periods and people don't see that. But you should probably start seeing right after I start seeing it what's happening, too. Yeah, I've got lots of files that have due diligence on them. Yeah, right? which like, means they're accepted offers. They're, yeah, of course. They're accepted offers. And there isn't a lot, uh, like in all honesty, what I have coming across my desk isn't, you know, 20000 off, $75,000. Like there's not huge amounts. You can yeah. see that it's it's fair, right? If it's listed for, let's say, 400000 nobody's coming in with a 380000 Or if they are putting three eighty on it, it's 380, it's crossed out, it's signed back at you know 398, and both sides come back and forth and it lands in minimal negotiation. Yeah, right. Well, like, like I think in a, in a regular market, right? Exactly. You're about five percent off is like a typical market when you're trying to get as much as you can, you get that 95% of list price and all that. 98% is great. We were running at like 112% for about two years, which was yeah. insane, right? So you're now getting sellers that are holding strong. They're like saying, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to wait until March or April because I think the market will be better there. And they're daring the other people to come back. But the problem is I like, I have a lot of clients where we've had listings where they're like, I want hundred grand off cash. I'll close in 30 days. That's what I want. Can you give us 50 grand off? No. If I don't get hundred grand, screw you. I'm going to the next house. And they'll try that for every house. But what's happened in a really balanced market is you get a lot of sale of property conditions. And this is what probably comes across your desk, Trevor. You're going to sell a property condition, right? And this is where the pent up demand could come in because you can have a sale of property on a sale of property on a sale of property on a sale of property. You know, so it's four sale of properties. They're contingent, but they're all paying the price that the seller wants. But the buyer has to get this much money for their house to do it. So what happens is, you could have five or six of these going on and say, well, and for example, where there's a chain of four houses that need to sell. And as soon as one of them sells, the rest of them go in. So you go from no sales 
to overnight five sales firm up, right? And then the market starts humming. And so I know a lot of houses right now that have sale properties. One of the conditions out there will say a conditional offer on there is it's sold, but you can bump it. And not everybody understands this situation. I have to educate this on buyers or sellers all the time. If you get a a property accepted with a sale of property condition, the typical uh, clause in there is the, the seller can continue to market the property. And if they get another offer they like, you give the initial offer that has a sale property condition on it, 48 hours to remove all conditions. Okay, so it's that shit or get off the pot situation. And most people don't have the appetite right now that if they get put in that situation, they're going to take a chance on it because the market's been really, it's been volatile for the last eight months, right? We don't know if it's going down, it's going up. The sense They're not going to hold the two properties, right? They they don't have, they don't have the intestinal fortitude to say it. Let's take a shot because they could really drop. If the market turns again, like it did, they could be in trouble, right? So if you bump somebody, they're probably going to say, okay, you got it, right? So usually people don't bump unless they've got their house sold. If people have their house sold with no conditions, they got to go buying. They might have 30, 45 days to find a house before they got theirs done, or they could put a relocation clause in there too, you know? So it gets busy real quick. And I know of several houses in the $1 million to $1.5 million range that has sale of property conditions on there. I've got a couple of them right now, right? Where my seller needs another seller's house to sell in order to firm up their sale, but then two houses firm up. And then all of a sudden you're seeing sold signs. If you're driving around right now, it's been Nominal. six months since you've seen a ton of sold signs. Now drive around. Look, there's sold signs up quite a bit now. I'd say 50% of them that are for sale right now have sold signs on it, probably. You know, maybe find- maybe the below million dollar price range, over the million dollars, it's all sale of properties right now. There's a ton of sale property offers accepted, but they're not firm because the other house has to sell. But like I said, one of them sells for it's coming. Sell. It's so coming. What I find funny is Collins, you were sharing a story with me that you've got a sale of property on a deal and somebody tried to bump it with a sale of property. And, and, and but that happened. So th- here's a perfect, cl- I'm not going to mention the houses or the addresses. No, no, of course not. But we have a house that, that was I was selling. A sale of property came in. Okay, and I'll, I'll give you the numbers. So we had the house listed at one point one four five. Hold on, right? you should give the, numbers. I will. I don't care. No, no, don't give numbers because you're still in the middle of. And if you're mentioning a, a counter that's come in, what if okay. what if they I'll, listen? I'll, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's true. We have such a high rating that everybody's listening. Um, wow. I'll, I'll, let me make up some other numbers. Okay, I'll give an example okay. of something else. That's make that's other off. numbers. There's a house that's $2.5 million, for example, for sale. It's been on the market for six months. It's dropped a couple of times, hundred grand each time. Then an offer comes in on the change market. So the difference here is the last eight months, the market's continually gone down with price adjustments. We've kind of stopped price adjustments so much now, right? So you might have one price adjustment, the house sells. So it's not going to be eight price adjustments. It'll be one price adjustments. And as a, an agent, I can look at the history of a house for sale. So if a house was listed in February, you could see seven or eight price adjustments until it's got an accepted offer. We're at the, the point right now where we're not getting many price adjustments. We're getting a price adjustment and a sale. So a house is listed at 2.5, was originally listed at 2.9. It had dropped $100,000 four times. Now offers are coming in. So the mar- it's at a price point where it's desirable now. Okay, the market's adjusted. Now an offer comes in, listed at 2.5, comes in at 2.3 with a sale of property condition. 
Okay, as an agent, you don't just take it. You say, what are you going to sell? What's your price point on the sale? Can I walk through your house you're going to sell, which I've done many times because I want to do my due diligence. And many times in the market, when someone accepts a sale of property condition, they will pay that price for it, but it's contingent on them getting the price they want for their house. So if they're overvaluing the house they're buying, are they overvaluing the house they're selling? And if I go through that house, I say, you have no chance to get that price. I don't want to take it. Okay. So I've done it many times where I'll go through it or I can do a quick drive-by assessment on a market value and see what I think it's worth, right, without going through it. But really, if you want to get a good sense of what a house is worth, you should go through it. It could stink, for example, and you can't tell by pictures. It could be appreciated quality. They could have, and this is the hardest thing, people love their dogs and I love dogs. But if you've got two dogs on it, they can destroy your floors. You've got a house worth $1.5 million and every one of your floors has got to be replaced it's not a big deal. It could be 20 grand. We've talked about this with Carlo on the show before, but a buyer going through that is going to hate it. And they're going to want to go buy something else. They're picky in that price point. Right? So we accepted an offer. Let's say for example, 2.5, it was 2.3. So 200,000 off of it. Right? Decent house, sellable house. They want to try their price for it. Okay. I think it's sellable. It's good to go. Then another offer comes in and say, well, we love the house. We'll give you a hundred grand more, but we got to sell our house too. So then I have to present that to my seller. And I'll say, look, here's two houses. This one's paying you hundred grand more. This one's hundred grand less. Okay. This house is in a more sellable price point. This house is in a less sellable price point. But if it takes two, three months to sell it, you're going to make hundred grand more. Could cost you carrying costs of 10 grand for two months. You know, so there's a difference of 90 grand right there. What do you want to do? And then in that situation, I went through both houses and I said, I think that house is sellable, but it's going to take longer. What would you like to do? In most cases, the seller wants more money, right? If I said, I'll get you hundred grand more of that, chances are you'll lean towards that, right? But the repercussions right now, 100%. of accepting an offer, could you do it? So our decision was, and it wasn't that amount. It was it's much less than that, but I'm just trying to make it grandiose kind of numbers to, to show you what it is, right? But if you look at that and then you look at the market, your time in the market, I think all four of us believe the market's heating up quite a bit. Not quite a bit. It's not going to get insane like a runaway train. But it all signs indicate that March 8th, which is the next Bank of Canada decision, interest rates, they're not going to raise interest rates. They can't. They could. You know, we don't know because by March 8th, say we have semi runaway train again, Bank of Canada might say, okay, this is too crazy. We put it down. So as much as they're saying they're not going to, has the government ever lied to us before? Has the Bank of Canada ever lied to us? Look at 2022, right? They said no raises and they had seven raises, right? So with... My read on my gut feeling, Josh, you feel the same way, Kerr. We haven't really had this conversation. Trevor, we've kind of felt the same way here. All signs indicate that the beginning of March could be very busy on the market. It's mid-February and our weather is spring weather right now, right? There's no snow on the ground. The showings on my listings have a lot of GTA agents coming down. They typically don't come down when the snow is like that. The last three years... Early March, the snow melted. It was fucking bonkers. All three years, the end of February, early, and you know this, Bond, because you're getting those agreements come. Kurt, or yeah. Trevor, you know this because you're getting those those financing. But you didn't get financing. You just said, here, I bought a freaking house. <laughs> yeah. Get me the financing. What this you're like, uh, <laughs> Do I have any time? Do I have an appraisal? You had nothing. So this will be the fourth year in a row 
that we could have our craziest thing. I don't think it'll be as crazy as last year, the year before, but if we're even half of what we were any of the last three years, it could be pretty nuts. And what I mean by nuts is your, your, your amount of inventory available won't be like four months. Like it is right now. It could go back down two months, which is a pretty impactful market. Right? So Five percent isn't bad. We made this. Well, even if you're ninety five percent of list price, that's like historically about where it lands. Typically, you know, if you're ninety six percent or ninety seven percent of of list price, that's pretty busy. If you're ninety eight, ninety nine, or a hundred, like it's hang on, like it's it's. I can't even like I don't get any time to do anything. Like you have to be in there instantly to buy houses. And what happens is you'll start to if the market goes to a seller's market, you'll start to see agents holding off on offers. Yeah. That's the that's the biggest indication you're in that. Yeah. Okay? An indication of a of a buyer's market is due diligence and sale of properties and time to get due diligence. When you have no time and it's holding off offers, that's an extreme seller's market. Right now you're not in there, but it starts when you list that house and day 1 it's sold. Because then the seller's like, "Well, shit, could I have got more?" Yeah, well. So then sellers want to hold off on markets, which people hate in this industry or in this area. If you're a buyer, you see a, I'm not looking at offers until the buyer's like, look at the next one. Yeah. Right? They're like, I don't even want to look at it. Right? Unless you want to so, play that game. Well, and then what happens, because I have to educate my, my clients all the time. I listed a $1.2 million house in Fenwick, 1,700 square feet in a cul-de-sac, saltwater pool, finished up and down, two bedrooms. Very desirable for 1.2. That's right, folks. Call Collins if you're interested in on that $1.7 million. It's a great house. $1.2 million right there. But it hasn't sold in the first two weeks. So people are panicking, right? But I'm like, you know what happens when a house gets listed? A lot of the buyers there who are savvy, they don't want to buy in the first week or the second week because you have to pay full price. Right? They want to negotiate still. Can you negotiate in the first week of a listing? Probably not. Because your seller's like, I want full. I want... They want more than full and the seller's not going to realize that's not achievable until the second or third week or fourth week. So the buyer's also thinking, okay, the seller's not going to take less than full or very close. I don't want to pay that. I have no problem. I will look at it, but I'm going to wait two or three weeks to see if it's still available. If it is, let's take a look, right? So as the seller, you got to tell them, okay, don't panic. You know, like it's 1.2 million. There's not a million buyers out there. And more than likely the buyer who buys your house 50% 50% of the time is going to need to sell their house too, right? So it's it's not like a $400,000 house. Like there was a house that listed in, and this is an interesting one. Sorry, I'm rambling here, but, you know, tangents That's go okay. off. A house in Bond, I never pointed this out to you. I know you're looking for this type of house, but I had a client point out. The way I do it as an agent, if someone brings it to my attention before I bring it to their attention, I can't tell it to my other clients because they did, because then I could have two or three clients bidding in the same That's, That's just how I did That's it, right? so it's fair. So a house went for sale in Port Coburn on Berkeley. It's sold now, but they're pending deposit. It was $250,000 for a house that had a frontage of, I think, 48 by 182. And it was wow. basically a, a teardown house, more or less. Just terrible. Like, like there's pictures of basement? the ceiling coming down. Full basement for 250, right? So when you see that, that's, that's you know what? You, you can buy that on a line of credit. You don't even need a, a, a mortgage. Sorry, Trevor. You don't need a mortgage on it if you don't want to. But you're competing with people like that. But you're thinking, oh my God, could I put 75 grand in this house and then sell it for 450? So my client brought it to my attention and said, I'm interested in this. What do you think? 
without seeing, I looked at it, I said, okay, because it's a gut job. You're re-drywalling it, new kitchen, yeah, new yeah. floors, Down to new the bathroom. Bones. And in that size of a house, which is about a 900 square foot house, 75 grand, no problem I can do. The only thing I don't know is the attic screwed up with black mold. It is the foundation. <laughs> oh, I'm going through that with my house right now, black mold in my know, attic. Which, <laughs> just so people know, on a 1,200 square foot bungalow, black mold's about $2,100 to remediate and get it done. It's not the end of the world. It's done with MMR. You, you Nobody's going there licking the wood in their attic, you know, so you don't have to worry about it, but it gets done. Okay. So it's not crazy. Anyways, I don't know if there's black mold in the attic. I don't know if, if the basement foundation is imploding. So I would have to see it. So people who try to buy a house like that site and seen are on crack, you should go through it. And this is the hard part as an agent is you've got to get out there and there's only so much time in the day to get out there. You've got other appointments. You've got to rush out there and see it. But this house listed at 250 was on the market for four days. They took an offer. I'm dying to see what it sold for. But when they got the offer, the agent didn't put out an offer on everything because I hadn't seen it. I didn't book a showing. They only, you know, they only informed the agents who have booked the showing or showed interest in the house. So if I was thinking about it, but I never booked the showing, I'd never be informed on it. So there's an interesting trend that happens in real estate that people will book a, a showing of your property and then cancel instantly. Because that makes me inform that agent if an offer ever comes in. So I get pissed off all the time because they're always canceling it. I'm like, what the hell are cancel? I finally figured out what they're doing. It's just a way for them to get informed if an offer comes in without even going through it because you do this broker bait thing. But this offer was accepted. I probably would have bought it sight and seen, but I never do that because I want to do my, my due diligence on it. And I've got a pretty good background in construction now with what I do and all the shit I've been through. Like, the, like if you have a problem with the house, you never forget it because it costs you money or headaches. So you never forget it, but it sold for 250. So could they have held off offers on that for a week and got multiple offers? I bet you they could have, because you could barely find a lot for that price. Never mind a lot with a house. Right. You right? fuck. I, I brought that property to your attention. Which one was it? I can't remember where it was, but it was 250, and you're all like, "No, it's a Toronto list agent. They're gonna fucking." Jack no, it up. That, it's, that's a different, different house. One? That was a that was a, a house that was holding off offers. Yeah, you said it was a Toronto. I think a Toronto agent. But, it was but like you can see how this like, happens because because a house on that price point, no matter what, you should hold off offers because just two fifty you don't find. Like most of my search parameters start at three hundred because there's just nothing below three hundred. But there is now, so I got to put it down to fifty grand all the way to a million dollars now just to make sure I get everything <laughs> yeah. to see it. But as soon as you see something, ones, they're modular yeah. homes on leased yeah, land they're, they're, yeah, yeah. or on the side of a cliff that's going to fall off. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, they're still probably trying to get a million, Jeff. No, for, for sure. But but that's how you can see the market. So when those 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 things come back into play where it's no offers until we're pitching that the market's coming that way. And, and to go back to the beginning of it, when Curry kind of introduced me to this segment, I know he's reading Bloomberg right now, but... But the beginning of the segment was the dams about the burst. The, the, the signs are that sale of property conditions are are all coming, you know, and you can feel it kind of, of heating up right now. It, it, we could be wrong. It could die again, but it just feels like the good weather. The Bank of Canada's next appointment, March 8th, and they're not going to raise interest rates. And a lot of buyers right now, especially ones I have, I don't know. They could. But a lot of buyers that I have right now are missing out on ones that they wanted, and now they get more aggressive. We can clarify the Bank of Canada – has said that they are going to pause. But have they lied before? Well, they didn't well, say for sure. <laughs> I know they didn't because say the, the inflationary data out in January 
was a lot higher than what they expected. The economy is still at full employment. And the Fed went on the record, which is Jerome Powell, went on the record and said, we're not taking another quarter point to 50 basis points off the table. So usually when the U.S. sneezes, Canada catches a cold. I'm not saying you guys are wrong, but I'm saying I'm actually backing Jeff on this wholeheartedly. They also First time for everything. To, yeah, there is. <laughs> uh, back in 2022, he's 100% correct. They said that it was going to be three or four interest rate increases. They ended up doing seven. Um, the fastest ever in history. Uh, so, yes, Trevor, you're right. Um, Tiff McCallum did say that they're going to take a pause. But I, they didn't say indefinitely do you know what i mean don't trust and not saying that at all or the government like totally blowing smoke august 2020 august or was it july 2020 where he was very tiff macklin was very nope interest rates are going to remain low for a very long period of time till 2023 right that's what he said he said they would remain low for a very long period of time was the exact quote and then all of a sudden you know late 2021 oh we should have started moving rates and then talking about moving a net neutral, which is two and a two to three percent. And they're sitting at four and a half percent right now. Right? Like, you know, and, and they so, didn't allow the three the the six to eight quarters, the eighteen to twenty-four months for right. things to actually set in. See, we've got three weeks till that March eighth announcement. There's potential that this market could become a runaway train real quick with the spring market. And then I could see Bank of Canada saying, whoa, half half point, quarter point, whatever. But what then how by April well, almost. Let, let's be honest by though. April. How is that going to April. to do anything? No, and he, you're right. It's not Trevor, going to it, do it, anything it for how like zero. People need a place to live. End of story. They don't yeah, know so, what to do with it right now. And when you have people don't know what to targets, do with the housing market. But it's the sideline mm-hmm. sitters that have been timing the market in that interest rates. They've been sitting there, able to buy whenever they wanted to and make that move. But they're watching the interest. They're timing the interest rate. That's what they're doing. So when Bank of Canada finally says no on March eighth, I think it get busier. And if it's two consecutive decisions where they don't go, they could really come in the market. So it's so it's really interesting. Josh, Josh, go quickly, and then we got to hop on to the next topic, which is all blending into one another. But this is going to be. So you're saying no, I'm just raising I'm I'm sitting on the sidelines right now and just waiting. We're going yeah. to look at some places on Friday. There's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. So the third article, uh, rookie, that uh, I, I I sent you. Uh, if you can, you know, posted it. Yep, there it is, right there. Um, Collins, you sent that. This is all about you, bud. Uh, this is about the builder who lost their license to build because they never enrolled their homes into the insurance. Would that be Terion? Yeah, Terion's on Terios. Yeah, so HCRA is the Home Construction Regulatory Authority. I've been blabbing a lot today, Trevor. You go for it. I want you to kind of introduce this part. No, no, it's all good. I'm just saying so that people. No, know, no, no. Like, but 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 we've talked about this you and me quite a bit lately about about the building in Ontario. Yeah, they're unfortunately. And also, I want you to much. talk, Trevor, about Desjardins' 39 month thing. I am not familiar with the 39 month thing. Well, let's hit this well, one and then we'll hit that right after. 39 months. Okay. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, no, it just, obviously we're, we're in a position. There's a ton of illegal building going on. 
this guy in this that particular article, they're they're a licensed home builder. Yeah, in the they're fine with legal building is first. Tell them what that is. What legal building is? Illegal or, building. Illegal building. So somebody building Curry? a home that that Curry yeah, Curry just disappeared, eh? Just yes, walked uh, away. Got nothing to say. Nothing to say. You know. See you later. Yeah. Go have a coffee. Take a look at my booby <laughs> lights on the ceiling. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So illegal builders, somebody building houses without the uh, the the legal. Oh, we got rid of him, and he just walked back. <laughs> um, building houses that doesn't have the legal right to be doing so. Right? They're they're pawning it off as building for family members and things like that. And and unfortunately, it's it it's putting a negative impact on the market, right? Negative impact on, on actual licensed home builders. They can yeah. do it for less money when you're building illegally in theory can do it for less money than, than building as a, well, a licensed and this builder. Curry, you haven't had a chance because I think you should talk about the capital gains impact when you're building, because the biggest thing is a lot of people build for themselves, pretend that they wanted to sell after, and then they reap this big reward because there's no, there's no capital gains on because your primary exemption, right? The problem is a lot of them do a lot of cash jobs. And if you get caught by the CRA and you have to pay capital gains on it and you don't have those receipts for those jobs yeah. you did, your capital gains going to be a lot larger than it really is. And you're paying on that or you've got tax fraud. So like a legal building in Ontario is if you build a house and plan to sell it to make a capital gain, Without permission. So in, in Ontario, you either have to have Tarion warranty, which I have as a builder, or you have to get an exemption letter from Tarion to build for yourself. And my biggest complaint in the municipalities in Ontario is when you apply for a build permit, there's a line on the permit that says, what is your builder Tarion number? You pop it in, they look it up, boom. If they wanted to nip this in the bud right off the bat, so you got to think, why aren't they doing this? All they'd have to do is say, what's your Tarion number or where's your Tarion exemption letter? If you don't have one of those two, you cannot build. So there's an interesting change that happened. Curry, you could talk about this. The CRA, I don't know when it was, about 2017. If you sold your primary residence, you'd have to yep. claim it on the following year's tax. It was 2018 so, budget. Yes. 2018. So now CRA has started to get a, a record of how many times you've done it. So if you were a homeowner and you sold your own house because you're legally allowed to build your own house in Ontario, no one's saying you can't. You should be able to do that. If you have the wherewithal to do it, no problem. Okay? You should get an exemption letter. That's what Terryon says. They don't enforce that strongly, though. But if you built in 2018 and then you sold, in 2019 and then you sold, in 2020 and then you sold, in 2021 and then you sold, the government's going to start looking at you as you're a builder. You're making income off that. And then they can come back on you and look at a capital gains. Now, the gray area is when did you sell? And we've talked about this before. Did you have to sell? Well, you probably didn't have to sell every year because you're splitting with your wife or whatever happened. That's tax fraud. If you didn't have enough money for it, that's tax. If you did it five years in a row, guess what? They're probably going to look into your records and they're going to think you're a builder. And there's a lot of people who do this. And my bone of contention is... One right off the hopper. You could... I don't even want to, I don't even want to draw attention to how often I find these ones, but you could easily nip this in the bud in a municipal um, um, area. When you apply for a build permit, do you have a tarry on? Do you have an exemption letter? No, you can't build done. But they want building to the happen. revenue. They want the, the municipality revenue. only wants the revenue for the permits. <clears throat> yeah. So why are they going to shut it down? 
because it's a legal building, they should be protecting their citizens of that city. Because if you buy from a builder who doesn't know, for example, I went through a house yesterday and me and my partner went through it to comp it, not saying the city, not saying the area, went through a house built by owner, being sold after the owner sold it to somebody else. So the, this current buyer bought from someone who built for themselves, who's done this on a often basis. Go through the basement. And now when I look at a good constructed house, and I believe me and my partner build really good homes, we try to do it the right way. If you pour your foundation floor, you should saw cut that floor. What it does is it prevents settling cracks, which happen in all of them, but it, prevent, it prevents heaving from happening in it. So we go in the basement and with my partner, we look at no saw cuts in the floor. He pointed out three places on the floor that has heaving happening already. Okay. So the original builder should be on the hook for any of these problems. Now, when the deal was made in this schedule, the lawyer probably insisted because the lawyer is protecting his seller doing his job. The lawyer probably put in the schedule that the buyer acknowledges there's no new home warranty on this property and accepts, here you go. But Tarion should still enforce that on the original builder. Now, on top of this, this build the basement, and there's nothing wrong with it, for example. But if you look at studying the basement, if any of you guys have finished your basement, you stud your basement, you put your drywall on there. Usually you're looking at 16-inch centers as a good build. 24-inch centers can happen. But if you lean on 24-inch centers on a wall, you're going to get some give on there and you can break it. And here's something else we pointed out when we went through with them yesterday. You have to have insulation. We have double insulation in our build. So we have our studding on there at 16 inch centers. We have insulation behind our studs, okay, because it's continuous. And then we have insulation between our studs. The house we looked at had insulation between the studs, but behind the studs, there was no insulation. So there's no continuous on there. So people who sell their house will say, well, it's done with city permits. It has to be inspected. Do you think that inspector making and I'm not trying to put them down, making $75,000 a year has any kind of build knowledge like my partner does for that. So they walk well, in, they see vapor barrier on that. They see insulation between the studs. All you got to do is stick your hand behind that stud. If there's no insulation behind that stud, there's not continuous, that shouldn't pass code. So where's the protection on that for that buyer? So now there's a lawsuit against the city because this wasn't passed properly. But if it's under Tarion as a build for me, I have to put it right now. I have to put $10,000 on any permit that I pull because that protects the buyer. Everybody says it just protects the builder. Bullshit. There's so much stuff I have to do on a build after. I have to fix pop screws if I want to. If there's 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 um, a crown mowing that pulls apart, I have to come back and recock that. But this person buying the house, the builder doesn't have to come back and do anything on that because there's no Tarion on it. So it's there to protect. The, people think it's just to protect the builder baloney. I have to do so much stuff for our clients and we, we do it, you know, and it's part of settling a house and all that stuff, but they don't. So the city could really stop that. Ontario could really stop that. They could probably make more money for Ontario too, with permits and all the, the warranties that cost that. But ultimately you should be protecting the consumer at the end. Cause if you're buying a $1.2 million, you want to have some kind of protection for you if you're buying it, you know, and the Ontario warranty seven years of construction. So heaving floors that's seven years of protection. The floor might not heave in the first two years. That's why they do seven years. Right? But then Homer revise it. They're not knowledgeable. They go through it. They don't see that. They don't notice it because they're just walking in the basement. It's painted floors. Where's their protection on them? Why do I have to do all that? And these other builders don't have to do it. Why? Because they're making more money. They're not paying WSIB on it. They don't have builder's risk probably on it. 
they don't even have to, to do ministry of labor if they're building their own because they can say that they're, they're framing their own house because you can frame your own house. All the permits have to do is look over that. No, it is. It, it, it's kind of, it, it's sad and it's scary. I mean, and, and I think that's what we talked about last episode is to make sure that you are dealing with good builders, do your research on the builders, do your research on the homeowner, uh, look for permits, look that they were pulled. Uh, and closed. It's one thing to... The permit's got to be closed. Well, that's what I'm saying. Let so make the sure difficulty that, is, that, is that you insure over the, that stuff, right? From a legal perspective, you title insure over any open permits or anything like that on a residential basis, right? So we're not doing the due oh, diligence absolutely. On, on work order or permitting, right? On residential, commercial. Well, and as a lawyer, you can't call the city and say, are the permits closed? You're not allowed to, right? Because it's got to be sure the owner of the house. You can? Okay. Nope. As a buy, as a buyer, you can do your due, you can do due diligence in terms of any open building permit, right? That's part of that's yeah. part of a due diligence that used to happen all the time, but now the title yeah. insurers just insure over it so that if there is an open permit, you're covered under your title insurance. So policy, that's interesting. So if I was buying a house, I could go down to City Hall and say, "Can I see if there's any open permits on that?" I'm allowed to do yeah, that. You sure. can see you any can. permits okay. that have ever been pulled on it's it, right? So does the house have public a record, right? Was the house, uh, did, did they apply to finish the basement? Yeah. Did they get a permit for the basement? Right. That's yeah. You have the ability. And to it's interesting because I'd say 80% of basements don't get permits when they finish don't it. Have, yeah. And yeah. why, why? Like for my example, I finished my basement with permit 4,500 bucks for a permit in the basement. From our perspective, we searched for open Stupid permits or work orders. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that you'd be able to go and see, like, a, I'm not sure, a whole laundry list of permits that were, were granted but, on a particular property. But but. I, I want to tell all our listeners here, it's very simple. If you're unsure if the house was registered with Tarion, you can literally call Tarion, give them the address, and they'll tell you if it's been done or not. You should be able to actually search it on their website. Sometimes it might be under the lot description, so it could be like lot 52 uh, Jeff Boulevard, or it could be the municipal address. <laughs> but if it's not on there, sometimes they're not updated because I've checked it before and I've called them and they said, yes, here's the builder. So if you want to know, all you have to do is find that out. And the problem here lies is if you try to buy a house with Tarion on it, all you have to do is ask the agent. The agent should know. If they say this, don't, you can say, why not? And then all the agent probably would do is say that we're not going to buy because we want you to acknowledge there's no warranty on the house. Okay. But there should be. There should be. And the municipality can nip it in the bud real quick by just saying exemption letter or tarion number or you don't fill. Period. Because there's big fines for people. They got caught building. Like that article we had, what was it? It was, he got his license revoked and I think it was $10,000 each house. I, I think he ended up spending uh, 208 grand, I think it was. I think okay. it was. They ended up having to spend so. out of pocket. Yeah, and, and it was revoked though his his license to build. So all yes. those projects he was in the middle of, he'll have to get someone else in his company to get Terry on for that, which probably takes you. You could get it done real quick in about six months, but six months to a year, you know, Terry. if you really want to push to get your Terry on license. And really, it, what it is, it's a test for a building code, which is open book, but it's a big book. And then I think you have six different ones you have to do for it. But then you also have an interview with Terry on, which is Ontario. And they look over your fine your finances with a fine tooth comb. So they're not just giving Terry on to anyone. So if you're bankrupt five times and all that, and you apply for Terry, you're probably not going to get it. 
Yeah. So it's not a simple process, but it's not impossible. It's not difficult. You can get it done as a salesperson for Tarion or as a builder or both. Um, so the final uh, quick uh, article um, that will appear down in the comment section of this, so you guys can read it as well, is the um, is the basically the federal government's new uh, underused housing tax, otherwise known as the UHT, underused housing tax. Now, a lot, th this goes live, like, March 1st. Um, you, I, I strongly advise our listeners and anyone who's watching, if you have multiple properties, please talk to a lawyer, and please, a, a real estate lawyer, and please make sure you definitely 100% if you don't have one of those, that's fine. Talk to a chartered accountant, a chartered accountant, not a bookkeeper, not QuickBooks, not, you know, you know, H&R Block, nothing against them. Just you need to talk to a professional with this because in the actual UHT, um, if you don't do this, uh, basically, you know, this, this, this is now live, like I said. And so when you file your taxes, you know, by April 30th, uh, 2022, um, your tax is owed on your, on your personal tax return. It, it's considered to be owed. So the, uh, I'm just going to read it here. The penalties for filing after the April 30th, 2022 deadline are stiff at least $5,000 per individual, $10,000 if it's a corporation for each residential property. Make sure that you are exempt. A quote right from the article, and I want to pull this up here. Um, uh, da, da, da. Do they give an, a definition under use? Uh... Rent yeah, well, I'll get, yeah, I'll get that. I'll get to that in a I was second. Think about our rental properties, um, Josh. So, <laughs> no, so Noah, so Noah Sarna, a commodity tax partner with Thornstonson's Tax Lawyers in Toronto. Um, they're they're going to be exercising or trying to exercise some leniency. Um, they're basically saying that it is um, an excessively complex form demanding more information than necessary in many cases. The, the CRA just released the form on January 31st, 2022. So not a lot of- <coughs> Or last no. year. Sorry, they, they, they released it in 2023 for the 2022 tax year. Thank you okay. for the correct. You're, okay. you're correct. Yeah, just wanna- um, And basically uh, it is extremely complex and which probably means because we're in the middle of RSP season, um, and we're going to then be in the middle of tax season. A lot of your accountants haven't been able to wrap their heads around it yet. Um, and it doesn't seem that they, they know all the ins and outs, which is very, um, which is very, and, and, and the exemptions are not going to be, you know, be given will, uh, willy nilly. Um, it's a 1% tax on the fair market value of each home is what you're going to have to pay. It's extensive. It is very extensive. This is to go after foreign buyers 
who are buying homes and just sitting on them and them being empty, essentially like in Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal, you know, your big markets. However, this applies to everybody across the board. If you, especially if you have multiple properties. So I'm going to read you again. Could, right, Brent? I think that's always right? No, no. So it affects everybody whether or not you're penalized or you uh you fall under the tax exemption that is right determined. right so affected owners in quotations in the article uh own a residential property in Canada on December 31st 2022 must file the UHT-2900 underused housing tax return and election form by April 30th of the following year but the definition of affected owner makes the scope of the UHT regime broader than the government's stated intention of targeting foreign owners. Affected owners include someone who owns an interest in a residential property through a partnership or as a trustee of a trust, excluding Canadian executors of estates, which makes sense because a lot of people don't know when you when you pass away you your estate forms a trust it's called a graduated rated estate and that's essentially a trust for about 36 months after the date of death and your your tax at the marginal tax rate after that after 36 months your estate if it takes that long to close reverts into a trust and you're taxed at the highest marginal tax rate which in ontario as of today is just over 53 percent provincially and federally combined Nice. So, um, including Canadian executors of the state, small business corporations that own residential property are also, uh, also are defined as affected owners. All That's right? interesting. I wonder so, if we kept a, a model home as a builder that we just use as a model home, that would probably fall under that, wouldn't it? Yep, it would. And well, could, it could, and you should talk to an accountant and you should make sure that this uh, exclusion or exemption is, is filed because excluded owners include Canadian citizens, permanent residents, listed corporations, REITs, and charities do not have to file a UHT. So you can understand how the difference between affected owners and excluded owners. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, trusts. It is a common, common and it's started to be more common in your everyday Canadian. Uh, Josh, I know you. I know you agree with me on this one. Did one I this love trusts. Trusts are amazing. Trusts are not just for the rich. Trusts or the super wealthy. It could be very useful for your upper middle class, upper Canadians who have assets that they want to pass on to different generations or different people. They want privacy. They don't want any probate. And um, they don't also don't want the uh, inheritance to form part of the net family property because that's one way of definitely making sure that if money's being left to somebody and you kind of think that that marriage or common law partnership might not last, use a trust um, because they are so powerful. I know there's a negative connotation around trusts. But don't think about that. Trust because, and, the and trust. If you have, if you, no, if you have any questions, <laughs> please feel free to find myself or Josh. 
Uh, we'd love to help you out on that. You need to speak to a professional for that. It is a it is a very very effective financial planning tool. And uh, Josh, you put one in my uh, in my will. Uh, full disclosure, I've got one in my will in case I um, pass away earlier, and that's because there's money I don't want my kids to touch until they're 25, 30, 35, etc. So. Um, yeah, so the UHG is an annual 1% tax on the ownership of a vacant or underused housing in Canada. The tax is part of the federal government's strategy to address housing affordability. The UHG is separate from and in addition to the vacant home taxes introduced in Vancouver in 2017 oh. and in Toronto and Ottawa in, in 2022. Please so, talk both, both to levels of government. Oh yeah, everyone's going at this. Um, you need to really, Let, really pay attention. Think back to that episode that we had. Uh, oh, what the heck's his name? President of Treb. Yeah, he's not anymore right. though. I think they they changed that too, right? He just yeah, yeah. It'll Treb change. It'll, yeah, it'll always yeah, change, right? But um, when we had him stage. on the show, yeah, yeah. So when we had him on the show, when he was, we were talking about the like the non-res spec tax and foreign buyer all that sort of stuff and one of the things that he alluded to was it is such a small percentage of the market that is actually being affected by this so it's not that the government they're basically doing something to uh what's the right word um give the illusion they're doing something to help the market they're cash grabbing Right, but uh, the big thing here is just speak to somebody if you own multiple. Speak to your accountant, of course, if you own multiple properties to make sure that you're not one of the affected individuals, right? Because the, the term underuse is is very subjective. It's very subjective, yes. and you don't want some auditor down in Newfoundland, Labrador, or someplace <laughs> in Canada that doesn't know your area, doesn't know what you're doing, doesn't know why you're doing what you're doing, and just being you know, a pain in the butt and just basically going ahead and going at you, right? You need to understand what the heck you're doing. Um, the other thing is trusts are, are used. There's something called, an art, I won't bore everybody with it, but there's something called the alt alter you. ego trust and the joint partnership spousal trust, which are used for people over the age of 65, very common um, as a tax planning tool. Guess what? You're not exempt. Someone who uses an alter ego trust, just so just very, very high level here. Um, it's the equivalent of me being 65 or older and going, you know what? I want to leave that my principal residence to my children and I want to ensure that it's done in a confidential manner. And but yet I still want to have usage and I, I, I still want to be able to use it and, and have control so I can create an alter ego trust. I can take the house, flip it. At the same fair market value, not because it's a principal residence, don't have to worry about capital gains, locking in the um, the fair market value, therefore, in theory, decreasing <coughs> the uh, capital gain tax that's, that, that would be uh, uh, needed at that time and leave it to the kids or leave it to a spouse or whoever I want to leave it to. But guess what? If you're not, if that's a cottage, which is done all the time, guess what? It could be considered underused in some municipalities. You could also so a VRBO wouldn't be right? for probate. Yeah, 
Like a VRBO well, a wouldn't be then, right? Yeah, it's a rental. Well, so that's actually, you know what, Collins? <clears throat> that's residential, Collins. And you know what? You, you're spot on with that comment. Spot on. This is twice in one episode. Holy crap. Um, no, you're you're 100% He's right. learning something Airbnb, from professional yeah, insights. Airbnb Retention. and VRBO are great examples of people who have residential properties that they own personally, or maybe they own it in a corporation, or they own it with another person. That would be that may be considered an underused property if it's underused, right? The, because the, if you're taking because if you're taking that, if I've got like a an in law suite, or if I'm in a triplex, let's say, or I've got a detached unit on my property for whatever reason, or I own another rental property, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to claim any income, but I'm also not going to claim any expenses. This happens. You know, people, I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it. I'm just saying it does happen. And there they have it on VRBO, but you own it. Well, CRA is like, well, you haven't claimed any income on the bloody thing. You haven't claimed any expenses on the bloody thing, but you own it. And it's just sitting vacant. Well, who are you renting it to? Well, that's an underused property. You can go, well, that's VRBO. Well, then, well, then they got you. They got you both ways. They go, wait a minute. How so smart they did that, though. I mean, smart they did that. Yeah, you haven't claimed any income. Congratulations. And you haven't claimed any expenses and you're not filing. Yeah, we're going to we're going to whack you on the UHT because it's underused. And we're going to go and we're going to whack you on the VRBO income. So just find a way to get more income. That? That's it. Income tax. Wow. See, the interesting tax thing would be a model home for a builder, though, because if we had a model home and we just use it to meet people and show I get we're utilizing, but we're not getting income from it. You know, so it is kind of vague. But you're generating you know, sales going, from it. So that's you why you're generating sales. Form. It's in and, the vehicle. And it's in, part of the vehicle. In hmm. that in, in that situation, in that situation, um, you're correct. That would most likely not seeing the form and, and not being an accountant, full disclosure, based on the merit of the law that they try. Wait, you're not an accountant? Or, no, I'm not. Oh. Yeah. So those taxes I did for you last month, they're bad. Oh, Jesus. Oh, now he's going to get audited. Now one plus one he's equals get audited. Oh, no, you're still getting audited, buddy. It's not even funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, uh, please, 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 please. Um, yeah. Talk to the trust, right? the trust yeah, and talk to your accountant. <laughs> Uh, please talk to your accountant. Trusts are really and beautiful. Then, like it, it, when, when, when you, when you get to the point where, or you're in a situation where you can use a trust, it, it, it's really a nice vehicle, um, to get you somewhere. It's amazing. I think it's amazing. It's great. It's wonderful. It's like driving a um, or Rolls Royce. Or a forerunner. It, it, a it is the, the Rolls Royce of financial planning. <laughs> there we go. I'm just saying. All right. We're at the tail end of this, this episode. So we need to promote our next episode, which is March 10th. Friday, March 10th. Friday, March 10th. We have a big guest coming. We have a big guest. I'm in the middle of his yeah. book, too. I love it. Yeah. Rookie, mm -hmm. I just sent you the link to his uh, picture. Uh, this man uh, did four tours in Afghanistan. Uh, for the US was it four Army. in Afghanistan? Because he split, right? He did Afghanistan and Iran. In Iraq, right? In Iran. Was it Iraq? But yeah, he did. He, I, I think he did four. 
four tours total, right? Yeah. But if you yeah. want to look at, at your eyes, like look, look through the eyes of a soldier going through that, like from beginning to end, it, it's, it's graphic. It's good. Rookie, can you put up a picture of the book uh, that we're going to cover? And uh, with the and then that's the Amazon link that I texted you and also a picture of him or I don't care how you do it. I, I don't know how we're going to do it. But um, so there he is. <laughs> Look at that guy. Looking dude. Look, would you like if you saw up. him in a, in a in an alley like you're running like look at the, the guy's jacked. I mean, he's this got is flames coming. Out I of have his pipes. a huge. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's got flames. He's got tattoos. He's he's you know, he's a big deal. Um, his name's Ben Sledge. Uh, he, like I said, is a, uh, former, um, army, uh, that did four tours in Afghanistan. We're going to cover his book. His most recent book is where cowards go to die. It's documenting the Afghan war. Um, I'm telling everyone, if you're watching this, please support a vet for crying out loud, support a vet because, our governments love screwing them over. Um, the reason why you are here today is and able to work and able to raise a family is because of these brave men and women who go to war and see the crap that is in this book. And I bet you it is only a fraction. So, Collins, you want to you're not much of a reader just like myself. Like we, we, it takes a lot for us to get engaged into a book and just to not put it down, but go ahead, Collins. You're, uh, I firmly oh. believe books are, are kind of brought into your life for a reason. All that. I read the book. I'm, I'm a, I, I'm way too much of a chicken shit to ever go to war or anything like that, but I love, I'm, I'm so enthralled by like saving private Ryan movies like that platoon, you know, cause it's, you're seeing the bravest of the brave man going in there and doing something that, I think I'd have a panic attack knowing I'd even be going towards, you know, and you're, you're, you're reading the book through his eyes of when he was young, before he went to it, why he went into it and what it's like after he goes through it. And it's, it's great reading. I, I like the middle of the night, I woke up the other day and I read like 80 pages of, I couldn't put it down until three in the morning. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just ripping through this book and I encourage you to read the book if, if you have any interest in that stuff, but it's like saving private Ryan, the, you know, through the eyes of someone like that. It's a great book. Purple Heart winner, I think, eh? Oh, and yeah. He, ta he, talks about, he talks about that in there, too, what he thinks of it and all that, too. So it's it's interesting because he's giving you no-holds-barred thoughts of what it's like to win stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, he's yeah, not he a couple of he's wars, not super right? – oh, yeah, it's it's a great book. I he's encourage not you guys very highly decorated. Not proud of it. Not proud so much of the award, right, because of – what he left behind. Well, and he talks about coming back and trying to ingrain himself into regular society and stuff like that. I'm only halfway done the book, but I'll be done in the next week. I, I, I like it that much. It's a great book. I can't wait. I to, haven't read the book, but I, uh, I read a lot of articles. I, I, I like, I, I'd like to, I'm not a professional interviewer or anything like that. And I don't want to uh, say the wrong things or anything, but I'm, I'm very interested to talk to him on I was March 10th is when we're doing it. March 10th, Friday, March 10th. Live. You on should be interested ABC, TSN, Sportsnet. We're live on everything. Yeah. Look at that Our dude. I, he went and fought for just, not our country, but the States. But well, no, but like you got, like, come on, we're Canadian. Same. Let's go. Like, I mean, Same. at the end of the day, he fought for Canada too. Let's be well, And he goes <laughs> back got, to war just to protect <laughs> other guys. I know. That's He's why I said him. We got some bow and arrows 100%. or something. Maybe some, you know, like some axes that we throw. I don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll run them Trevor. some ammunition. Trevor, Trevor <laughs> might get drafted with the axe thrown. 
Yeah, I know. That's what he's training for, I think. To be oh, honest. here comes an axe. Oh, oh, there, there it is. Oh, there it is. There it well, is. Well, if you ever want to compete against so, Trevor, he's got like a loaded axe where everybody else gets the dull axe. It's great to go against them. Okay, let's like be clear. You're a fucking again. cheating axe throwing bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor's like, Dink. I want to go do it again, though. Like but you can't guard Trevor. So let's go. <laughs> I finished runner up to you twice. We're doing pool first, pool night, and then we can do. Yeah. Pool night soon. Let's go. Listen, we, we do it in like we do it in like late March because right now I'm on keto and not doing any alcohol. So yeah, it sucks. We'll do it in late so. March on a Saturday night so we can get audience. You got to tune in for Ben Sledge. <laughs> yes, yeah. Ben Sledge, Friday, March the 10th. Veteran, please. An See, this, this vet. is how proud yeah, I which, go. proud I am of the axe yep. throwing. Look at that. Here we go. How's that for sharing screen? What place am I in? Wait, wait, hold on. You're first. Wow. Right there. You know what? Nice. You know what, Trev? A little gaffer. Those are some good stats. Trev, good stats. That. Hey, Trev. Yeah, yeah. Trev. Look at that. Yeah, Champion 2019. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Not that serious. Yeah, like let's uh let's share that with Ben and tell him tell him how good you can throw it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we should screen share that. You know, you want to? Because I can. Hey, I like that. You know, you, you know what? You, know what you do you. I don't even you like do going on do. a plane and reading the stuff Ben does. I'm the biggest pussy alive. Jeez. Oh yeah, big it's time. Crazy. Let's go, boys. Come on. So Come again, support of that Friday, March the 10th. We have Ben Sledge, veteran from the U.S. Army, coming on. Author, where cowards go to die. The link will be down in our comments section. Please go to Amazon order it and like come on you're supporting a veteran so at the end of the day you might as well um and uh do what's right it puts life in perspective yeah it's serious shit man serious shit he put his life on the line emotional it's very emotional i get emotional when i talk about vets i i love them i love them Mm. to pieces um anyway uh thanks to everyone for listening sharing caring again friday march the 10th ben sledge please tune in live Bondo, take us out. Help us help you stay informed. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, at NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice in the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.